Welcome to the USU Career Studio podcast that helps you navigate your career path. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to tell your friends and family all about it. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or anywhere else you listen to get access to our newest content. Okay, Danielle, what are some barriers you've seen for students? Yeah, we've talked about a lot of them. So, I mean, schedules, uh, timing, uh, cost. We've talked about the jobs. We've talked about quite a few transportation, um, distance. But I think to some extent, um, society favors certain types of personalities when it comes to pursuing opportunities. Um, And recruiting definitely follows those standards that society has set. Extroverts tend to do very well. Um, Neurotypical people tend to have an easier time. Um, So when we look at the ways traditional recruiting works with career fairs, with interviews, you know, those people who are able to come into a room and be very personable and make great eye contact and, you know, are very easily liked tend to have an advantage. And in some roles, don't get me wrong, those skills are very important to the role at hand, but not at all of them. And a lot of times these students are perhaps being locked out of opportunities based not on how well they could do the actual role, but on how well they're able to interview. And these are important skills for students to learn, but there needs to be an opportunity for these students to start to build experience so they can start to build that level of confidence. So they have something to bring into those rooms when they're trying, especially for neurodiverse folks. I mean, something as simple as making eye contact can be a big barrier. Um, So having avenues and having ways for them to start to gain that experience so they have something to show, even if they're falling short in some of those traditional interview methods, I think is crucially important. Um, So again, inevitably bringing it back to micro internships, a lot of the companies that are using micro internships will make decisions based off the student's profile and their short answer responses without interviews. Some do do interviews, um, but it creates an opportunity for these students and recent grads to be judged based on their potential to do the work and then after they've done the project how well they actually do the work as opposed to some of those barriers that are really not under the student's control and this is a really interesting topic you know employers come to universities often and say how do we recruit more diverse talent and i think oftentimes the the answer is you've got to change the methods in which you are recruiting talent um you know often recruiting is not inclusive uh period (laughs) (laughs) And so I think this is a really important uh, thing to bring up as we talk about, you know, disadvantages for students. And again, um, whether it's a micro internship, an internship, uh, a job shadow, whatever it might be, if students can position themselves in kind of those those easy, um, those easy prototypes, if you will, it allows them to build that relationship. And even if they maybe do struggle with something like an interview, if they've already built a relationship, they've already had the chance to kind of prove their their worth um, in that sense, how much easier then is it to recruit more diverse talent? So I think that's a really important point. Um, Cameron, you're nodding enthusiastically. Any thoughts to add? <laughs> oh, 100%. You know, we we really do have to change the way we think of recruiting or some of the the cultural things around professionalism as well when it comes to that. Because if we really want to be uh, getting diverse talent, we have to think that students, I mean, professionals, we're all different. We all have our different learning styles. We all have our different backgrounds. 
So, and that is one of the reasons why we see that a lot of our marginalized populations don't pursue experiential learning opportunities as much because the culture is of the dominant, right? Here's how you interview. Here's how you negotiate. Here's how you network from that cultural lens, right? And we're not understanding that this exists in different ways culturally. In fact, we have a, a whole entire campus, our University of Utah Asia campus in South Korea. And the way that those students think of career development is very different than the way we think of career development here in the U.S. And I think if you really want to be somebody who is innovative and wants to get diverse talent, you have to be open to those other forms of, of seeking talent and, and rethinking sort of what professionalism is in that sense. Um, you know, is that a traditional interview where you have to ask these questions and they have to behave in a certain way or is that maybe just also kind of getting to know who they are, what their background is, what their culture is like? How would that be beneficial to the organization? How can that bring in new ideas and excitement? So there's just so many ways to think of it. And that's one of the great things about internships is that they can kind of be informal sometimes. Like they don't always need to involve this formal like interview and then a second interview. And then, you know, it can sometimes come from a conversation at a career fair. It can come from the students seeking out these opportunities too, right? That's why I always tell students, you know, sometimes you can find a posting on, you know, Handshake or something and apply for it and go through that process. Or sometimes you can go out there and just learn and seek. Um, but I also think for us to, you know, recruit diverse talent, students need to see themselves in those organizations. So they need to see people that look like them. They need to see people be successful who look like them. And I think that is one of the things that is going to be the, the challenge of our time coming up. And I would just love to jump in and follow up on your points about professionalism. I was recently at an event. It was a great event from one of our partners called Professionalism Unpacked, where they were having that conversation about what is professionalism. And they started with questions, you know, is this professional? Is it not? And the consensus that was come to is professionalism is really relative. Something that's considered professional in one environment could be considered entirely unprofessional in another. And I think that's something that we all have to be aware of for our students who are from historically underrepresented populations in the world. Workforce. I mean, just for example, one of the questions in that panel or at that event was, you know, is wearing natural hair professional or unprofessional? And there were mixed responses because in some environments it's considered unprofessional, which I still think is ridiculous. Um, and in other environments, it's considered professional. But that's something that students of color have to consider before going into a in-person environment that our students who are not of color are never going to have to think about. And then if those students of color, you know, don't have time, if they're not going to adjust their appearance to research the culture of every single person or every single company that's at that fair, that is a lot to ask of a student that a student that's not of color, again, is never going to have on their plate. So these are the things that, again, if we don't have diverse folks who are in our career centers, who are doing the recruiting, who have these things in mind, that we we need to put on ourselves to be very aware of and that are sometimes, you know, taken out of the mix when we're using other methods of recruiting. I so appreciate this conversation around professionalism. And it's so funny that we're talking about it today because literally this past week, I was talking with a colleague of mine about this very topic. And, you know, 
my colleague asked me, you know, what exactly, like, what is your definition of professionalism? And I said, you know, it's a really good question. Uh, and I kind of pointed them to uh, NACES, uh, the National Association for Colleges and Employers definition. And part of the reason I, I appreciate their definition is because it's grounded in professional behaviors rather than appearance, which it's so interesting that culturally we really uh, tend to lean on this this appearance aspect of professionalism. Not really sure why, but culturally, that's kind of been an important element in the past. But I really love this idea of of again really looking at uh, looking at professionalism as uh, as as skills as as um, core competencies really that we develop. Uh, and it's behavior based. It's about how we're performing our job duties, how we're interacting with others rather than um, maybe, yeah, somebody has blue hair and that is may or may not be deemed professional. Um, so I, I just really appreciate that conversation. And again, you know, to bring it back around as we talk about disadvantages and barriers for students in terms of getting these experiences, I do think institutions hold some responsibility to help re-educate recruiters and, and employers generally about what professionalism is and how it might be uh uh, painting uh, their view of, of what a, a professional student looks like. So lots of work to be done, but I really, I really appreciate you both diving into that a little bit deeper. I'm curious, kind of moving, moving forward a little bit here. I'd love to hear you both talk about how you are kind of pushing the status quo, challenging the status quo around this, because again, lots of barriers exist for students to get access to to these opportunities of we, as we've just discovered. Um, so maybe talk to me a little bit about how you see, you know, whether it's Parker Dewey or Cameron within your role at the U, how are you trying to open up more possibilities for students? Yeah, so one thing that we're seeing uh, from companies that is really exciting is using micro internships as a way to audition talent for those longer term roles, um, because it addresses a lot of those things we've been talking about. It's a way for both the company and the student to kind of try each other on. Um, there's a company, they're a medical device company called Smith and Nephew, and they were having trouble recruiting for their entry level sales roles. Um, so they turned to micro internships, they posted a project, I think it was to develop a pitch deck, and they selected a wide range of students and that were about to graduate and the students who did a great job on the project they were able to extend offers to and those students accepted because they felt from that project that they had a better understanding of the company that they would then be working with and the company felt you know we know what we can expect from these potential new employees and even for those students that you know maybe didn't knock it out of the park with the project they essentially got paid to interview so it's really exciting to see companies uh, using micro internships in these innovative innovative ways and students coming to it um, because again that company came to Parker Dewey and were using micro internships in that way because they were struggling to get applications for a great opportunity I mean we've seen it from other companies too we've got a couple success stories on our page right now where the the recent grads have said I had never heard of this company before had no idea who they were and some of these are big companies um, but they went on the platform they found a micro internship and they applied for it and it ended up being the company that was their first home after graduation. So using it as that way to, to build that brand, to give both parties that opportunity to do a test run. And before Cameron, before I have you jump in, Danielle, I'd love to have you walk our listeners through just the very basic process. Okay. So maybe you've sold them on the idea of micro internships. So like Danielle, I've got to look into this. What, what does that process look like to actually go and apply for a micro internship? 
Yeah. So I'll start with from the company side, they decide what is the thing I need done. They post the project. Um, They do have the opportunity, you know, if they're using it as addition for longer term, maybe an internship and they want to know if the student would be geographically available if they needed the person to be in person for the longer term, they can feature it to specific institutions. Uh, Once it's posted, um, students can see it. Um, So students, all they need to do is create a profile, takes about 10 minutes. Um, We encourage them to add experiences that are relevant to the types of projects they want to do. And again, this is a good place to get a first experience. So we're not saying, you know, you have to say, I solved world hunger. We're not expecting to see that in your experience section. It can be class projects. It can be volunteer projects. It can be things you can doing with your extracurricular uh, activities. So those are the types of things you can highlight. Uh, and then when you see a project that's of interest to you, it's very easy to scroll through the different opportunities. Um, if you see one that the title looks interesting, you just hit the drop down menu to look at the details. You'll be able to see when the company is looking for the project to kick off, when they're looking for it to be done, the ballpark of how many hours they think it will take and how much that project will pay if you're selected. If all of that information lines up with your schedule and the description looks interesting, you can apply for the project. Um, Now, some companies will just have one question. Some companies will have a few. Students will always be asked, why should we select you for this opportunity? And that might be it, or there might be a few additional questions. Uh, So I think I've mentioned before, companies might go entirely off the profile in those short answer responses. So while it's very effective, efficient for students to apply. It doesn't need to take a lot of time. Students do want to make sure that they are putting thought into those short answer responses and into their profile because it's the only opportunity in many cases they have to make an impression. Um, One of the students who is, well, she's about to be a recent grad, um, who is one of our success stories. She let us know that she had applied to a few projects before she really finished filling out that profile, didn't put much thought into those responses, never heard back. Um, But then she finished that profile. She took some time with a short answer response. She heard back the very next morning. She was selected for a micro internship that led to her finding out about a traditional internship that led to, she let us know a few weeks ago, a full-time job offer. Wow. Oh, so inspiring. Cameron, uh, shifting over to you, I would love, I know we've touched a little bit on how uh, your department is really working to integrate and and require uh, the kind of this experiential learning component, Um, but anything you want to add just in terms of what you all are trying to do, again, especially to make this accessible to students, because just because we require it, which is a good stepping stone to ensure all students do it, it doesn't necessarily remove all of the, the challenges and barriers for students to complete that course. So talk to us a little bit about um, what you're doing there. Yeah, I mean, definitely one of the ways we are uh, implementing micro internships and really having conversations about those, because I mean, just the idea of challenging the status quo in that way, that an internship has to be this semester long thing or this drawn out process. Um, it's just not the case and it doesn't serve everybody, right? So we have those traditional college students who we would consider to be, um, you know, in that uh, 18 to 24 year olds range who uh, can get highly engaged in things because maybe they're not working a full time job. They're part of a learning community. Um, they're actively involved in a lot of things. Those students are going to be much easier to reach in terms of helping them find an experiential learning opportunity. But what we also need to be thinking about is all this, this whole other population of students that have full-time jobs that might be a single mom that might need to, that aren't 
maybe coming to campus and getting involved in a lot of things, they've got a lot of other things on their plate. And so a micro internship is really a great way to really challenge the status quo and say, you can work on projects to get those experiences. And what's so great about when you're doing an experiential learning opportunity that's shorter, like a micro internship where it's like a project they're working on, let's say that one of the projects is that you need to create a video for a company. Um, They're obviously going to use their skills of video production and editing and create something. They're going to learn what the the needs of the company are in that. They're going to get feedback from their supervisor on the project. And then with that micro internship, they're going to be able to articulate what they learned and what they got out of that really well, because it's in a micro way, right? When they go to a job interview, uh, when they're able to like put together their resume and think about all of the things that they've learned and, and how that can, you know, be the catalyst to the next thing in their career. So that's why I really think these micro internships are such a great way to challenge the status quo. I love that. And again, couldn't be more of an advocate. Uh, I, I work w- uh, primarily with a lot of post-traditional students. And so those populations that you're you're describing, Cameron, it resonates so much with the work that I do. And again, um, you know what I tell students about that? Like, oh, it's just a short term, you know, 40 hours or less kind of project. Suddenly it's like, oh, the light bulb comes on and says, well, I could do that. I could do that over the course of two weeks or, you know, whatever. So I agree that 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 accessibility is huge for students. Um, obviously, again, there are other ways to do that. Um, but I but I do give props and kudos to Parker Dewey and, and the work that they're doing there. We hope you loved this episode of the USU Career Studio podcast. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe and share this episode with your friends and family. 